this week's farmland. We focused on dairy farming and COVID-19, and we have the second part of an interview with a well-known mart manager. Here's what's coming up. We talked to DII's Connor Mulvihill on dairy markets and milk processing amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And we continue our talk with Jimmy Walsh of Leinster Marts about 50 years in business. The dairy industry, like every other industry, is facing major challenges due to COVID-19. Claire McCormack spoke with Connor Mulvihill, Director of Dairy Industry Ireland, about the challenges ahead. Uh, Connor, I suppose it's a really difficult time out there, a very worrying time for dairy farmers at the moment. They're getting a lot of mixed messages, mixed signals maybe on what the markets are actually saying and uh, our processing capacity. Uh, just to begin, can you update us on where processing capacity is at the moment and what are Dairy Industry Ireland's projections for that peak in five or six weeks' time? Just in terms of what we're working on is trying to process every drop of milk. That is the goal of every processor on the island at the moment and we're working night and day to make sure that occurs. Uh, at present, um, processing is going remarkably well in the context of what has been draw once in a century pandemic overlapping a once in a, a, a historic level of, of milk production in Ireland but the danger is not what is happening now in four or five weeks time we will be uh, under pressure to pop to process over 250 million litres of milk on in the 26 counties of Ireland. That is a historic level. So the issue isn't stainless steel. We have plenty of stainless steel in Ireland to process all the milk at peak. Our danger is, and what we've been trying to communicate is, it's a HR issue. If plants go down due to uh, COVID sicknesses and absenteeism or from breakdown, that's when we're in trouble. And that's what we're trying to articulate and to warn the system about. What about the severity of that warning, Connor? Is that a, is it a probability or a possibility that that's going to happen? That plants will go down. Yeah, well, we we've been preparing for this, Claire, since January of this year. We thought it was going to be a, a demand shock in terms of what was going to happen in China when we started our work in that. Little did anyone believe within a couple of weeks we'd be in the here and now and having. You know, as, as I said, a once in a century pandemic on our shores. So we've been working with the HSE in terms of overlapping their projections with absenteeism rates, etc., in the dairy processing uh, infrastructure. And we saw that there was a huge risk to us and to us as processors and by extension risk to farmers around the country that plants had a risk of going down because of the absenteeism rates. Thank God in the last couple of weeks and months the work of both our processors and our government and the people in general not to mind the staff in the processing plants has been paying dividends and uh, the curve has been shifted. But the problem with that curve being shifted, instead of the peak being, let's say, this week in April, it now looks like the peak of the pandemic is now going to be moved into exactly overlapping the peak of processing. So to answer your question, the risk is still there, but we're going actually quite well at present. So we're doing everything we possibly can. We have seven different committees in DII now working on this. We have CEOs meeting, chief operating officers, HR people. So heaven and earth has been moved, but we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination yet. 
Well, I suppose the dairy farmers will argue that they're they're already they're still in the woods because the price has bill prices have gone down yeah. um, already. GDT, even though it was slightly up last week, or newer, uh, the PPI was down, and we've had three processors come out this week with slashes between. 1.8 and 2 cents a litre and yeah. uh, so they're already feeling that and then there's talk of of further cuts uh, in the months ahead but you know really was there need for that cut to come for March supplies yeah well look what's after happening in the markets has been absolutely unprecedented as the farm organizations who we work with on a daily basis have pointed out things were rem- remarkably good in the dairy industry and stable right coming right into january until this kind of appeared in our key markets out in china and what has happened in the last couple of weeks and months within the markets has been very unprecedented. For example, last week, the Dutch quotations dropped in the, uh, the most they've ever done in, a, in I think, their 120-year history of quotations. Butter dropped by 500 euro in a day. So the markets are under severe pressure. Yes, there are glimmers of hope, Claire. You know, GDT, look, the, the industry wants prices to go up as well. We want to make money the same as our farmer suppliers. But at the same time, we have to accept market realities and we're because of the nature of our industry where we're producing 10 times the amount of milk in the month of may as we do in december we're making uh ingredients uh and commodity markets and have a much more bigger exposure to food service markets rather than retail and that means what's happening global markets really really impacts us yes we cling to gdt and we hope there that's a sign of recovery but the, what what the returns we're getting for the markets at present are, are, are it's like an anvil on top of on top of our prices. Connor, just delving further into the market situation, and you mentioned China there, but China has reopened, and there is a lot of optimism out there currently. But how realistic is that optimism? And you know, is de- is demand going to pick up relatively quickly? And then you also have, I suppose, uh, South Korea, Japan not looking great at the moment, and the the disease, the COVID nineteen, is actually. Uh, getting a grip on Africa as well. So those sub-Saharan uh, African countries, you know, there's there's concern there. So what's your assessment of that? China is about 78% of Irish dairy. That's It's a key market. It's a rapidly growing market and it's a huge engine of demand across the, the global dairy infrastructure. But it's not the be-all and end-all for our markets. Our markets remain to be the UK, which... The guys are dumping milk at the moment because they can't sell it at retail markets. The EU, that's about 66% of Irish dairy, and that's where the pressure is. Yes, we are delighted to see that China is coming back, but it's coming back at a slow rate. But we're hoping that can be a part of the underpinning of the recovery. And I think you're right to also uh, underline what is happening in sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East as well, Claire. To be honest, from the projections we're getting from our colleagues in Europe and elsewhere, that looks to be the next center of the pandemic. And that because it's on our doorstep is a real, real driver of Irish dairy exports, Algeria, the Middle East, West Africa, et cetera. So we have fears there that demand will go down and that will impact us in in the Irish dairy industry as well, Claire. What are Brussels doing about this, um, Connor? I know there's been lots of negotiating going on over there. Obviously, the health side is hugely central to the central piece of this, and that's going to be a priority. But how hopeful are you of 
do you know the the aids to private swords scheme or or intervention at the moment yeah i i think in fairness to the agri system here i think it's where industry and the farming organizations have an extreme unity of purpose with our own department of agriculture to, to throw open the toolbox to put a floor under the markets and for us aids to private storage is the way to go because it doesn't suck the price down to intervention level remember if we go to intervention the see through price for that milk is in the region of 19 to 20 cent a litre that's doomsday for everyone Claire so aids to private storage where companies can take the product off the market put it in private storage and then sell it back when the when the price gets better. That's a much more logical, logical kind of approach. And we would argue to Europe a cost effective approach. But the answer we're getting at present from the European, um, the European Commission and European officials is that they're throwing every cent they have at ventilators for Italy, at, 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 at refugee crisis, uh, combating COVID, all this sort of stuff. So, to be blunt, we are well down the list now from a trade association, and I know that's followed by the Irish government and the farm organisations in working with us. We see we had to battle our own corner. But at present, there has been little or no movement from the EU authorities in terms of giving funding for either aids to private storage or any other toolbox mechanism that's open to us. They have been very helpful on things like um, giving derogations on working time and drivers times directives on getting goods through the single market over borders where there was where there was glitches. They have been very good on things that maybe are regulatory based and not cost. But when it comes to cost, they keep telling us they're investing everything on the health system to battle COVID. Connor, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll be Thank back. Best of luck. Kilcullen Mart's Jimmy Walsh has been in the business for decades. In an interview filmed before the COVID-19 outbreak, Jimmy reflects on his time there. The single biggest challenge, go back that time, was when, when the slaughter premiums came in. Because the marts that had uh, big numbers of those good heavy cattle lost out extensively when there was slaughter premiums paid by, the, paid by the department. If you killed your cattle in a factory, you got a top-up slaughter premium. Now that impacted upon those numbers of heavy cattle coming through the marts, big time. The second thing that would have influenced it an awful lot would have been the testing arrangements. Today, thankfully, we have a year-long test on an animal, you can turn them over, you can buy and sell them within the same test period in a year, providing it's within that one year. And the same with cows and the same with heifers and the, you have the blood test is, is adequate for a year now. Back then you had 30 days, 60 days, 90 days and that, that obviously impacted upon the flow and the free flow of cattle through March. That had an awful, awful, awful impact upon our business. An example, and I'm going back too far, in 78 the testing came in, October 78. 30-day testing was introduced. In other words, cattle had to be TB tested and you only had 30 days to move before they had to be tested again, right? We sold around 70,000 cattle in 1978. And in 1979 we sold 32,000. It more than halved the numbers going through the market. But in the year of 79, half the numbers went through, and that's when you got the first wave of mart closures. 
it almost eliminated the dealers completely because there wasn't space enough and time enough to get in a couple of sales. And as well as that, you would have had farmers that bought short keep cattle and sold them back through March. It eliminated the trade. It impacted terribly on the trade. Later, the blood testing, they went out, out to 60 days and then 90 days and finally a couple of months on the TB testing and it got a little bit freer again. But the, the, the blood testing on the cows and the heifers remained in place. Now that's gone now, but when that went, it took with it a whole group of farmers, of feeders and fatteners that specialised in feeding cows, dry cows. They went with it. And dairy farmers were at the loss there because they were selling, they took them straight to the factory then and they were passing on unfinished cattle that they could be value-added if other farmers bought them, but they couldn't come to market because they needed to be tested. Now it's back the other way around. There's a freedom there now. And I know we sell about 200 dry cows a week. If that blood testing was back again, it would have that, maybe eliminate it completely. That was a very, very big factor. The other significant factor through the late 80s and into the 90s too, would have been the, the live shipping of the heavier cattle. And you had Purcells, Horgans and others at that. And they really, those shippers, they liked using the marts. And when, in those times, when the men attached to those shipping companies walked into the sale, the place lit up. And they, particularly those two, two outfits now would have been huge customers of ours. And they bought groups and groups and groups of big cattle um, shipped out of Waterford. You know, uh, it, it, there were marvellous times that way, and undoubtedly, when that faded, you had a lot of factory reaction. They didn't want these cattle going out. It was this seed corn going or whatever else like that. But the testing, the shipping, the different regulations that came in. The biggest one of all, foot and mouth disease in, in 2000. The new Martin Carlo, uh, got planning permission in 2000 and was constructed in that year. We opened in January 2001 and we were closed in February with everybody else. The whole country, the marts were shut down. Two things emerged from that. One, a number of marts never reopened and a number of people who were in the cattle trade disappeared out of it altogether, found other activities. The second thing that happened was a whole batch of new regulations came in, some of them good, some of them not so good. The buzzword of transparency came in. The boards that you see in the marts out there came in. The movement permit started. A whole industry was created around the regulations that, that came in and how they were enforced. Um, you know, like, a lot of the sheep marts fell by the wayside because you couldn't have timber pens anymore. They had to be steel. Now the level of uh, the level of, of, of we'll say welfare in March certainly improved, and the level of cleanliness in March in general certainly improved. The costs lobbed in on top of March, and we we'll say from 2001 to 2005 was enormous. It was grant aided, but in any March you look around and you see what computers they have, and that wasn't there beforehand. I don't know how we got by beforehand, but with the traceability came the the the, the companies like the likes of. There's two, two or three big companies in that now that are service providers to marts. And a good service it is. Uh, you know, you, you have that. Now the department needed to know where every animal was, is, 
for every hour, every minute of his life. Everything was live. You know, there's greater traceability on an animal now than there is on a human by far. By far. And they achieved that. Now, in fairness, the department themselves were always imaginative on the way they went about it. And in fairness, there was a good level of grant aid provided to Marts to get their systems up where animals would be, you know, well checked and um, where their origins were well known. They brought out licensing for dealers. But it did have a restrictive influence on, on what we could do and what we couldn't do. The regulations uh, were significant, you know. Over the years, that has developed into, you know, obviously uh, the demand for the manufacturing beef, the customers have changed their taste as well. And thankfully, we would have enough of customers now that would absorb those dairy crosses. Back to years when you had the Continentals, it was harder to find customers for those. The carcasses wouldn't be as big, the cattle didn't do as well, and indeed they didn't look as flash either. So, oh yeah, yeah, the, the growth in the dairy herds had well and truly been reflected in every mark, not just us. Thanks for watching this week's Farmland. You can keep up to date on the latest agri-news on agriland.ie and the Agriland app.